again to God's Word. If you'll turn with me to Matthew 13. We find our sermon text this morning, and the words to which I will call your attention are to be found in verses 18 to 23. Now, just remember that um, we're looking at the explanation this morning of the parable of the sower. So Jesus told the parable in the earlier verses, uh, but we're going to read the explanation of that parable this morning and meditate upon that uh, from verses 18 to 23. Here now, the word of God. Hear then the parable of the sower. When anyone hears the word of the kingdom and does not understand it, the evil one comes and snatches away what has been sown in his heart. This is what was sown along the path. As for what was sown on rocky ground, this is the one who hears the word and immediately receives it with joy. Yet he has no root in himself, but endures for a while. And when tribulation and persecution arises on account of the word, immediately he falls away. As for what was sown among thorns, this is the one who hears the word. But the cares of the world and the deceitfulness of riches choke the word, and it proves unfruitful. As for what was sown on good soil, this is the one who hears the word and understands it. He indeed bears fruit and yields, in one case a hundredfold, in another sixty, and in another thirty. O Lord, your word. Amen. Please be seated. Uh, would you pray with me? <coughs> Our Father, we come before you to begin with this morning, just acknowledging that even listening to a sermon is an act of spiritual warfare. And we know that Satan and his minions long to thwart us, to distract our intention. Help us, O oh Father, to be good listeners to the word this morning so that we might bring forth the fruit of it for the glory of Christ our Lord, in whose name we pray. Amen. Um, you know that to become a naturalized citizen of the United States of America, you have to take and pass certain examinations. And uh, these exams, maybe some of you have taken them, taken them yourselves. There are websites where you can go, and it, it tells you if you're a legitimate citizen or not. Uh, if you actually could pass the exam that, uh, say, somebody who comes from Guatemala or Mexico, that they have, that they have to pass. So they have to pass this examination. They have to show that both they, they have the understanding necessary to become a citizen and they have to vow a willingness to keep the laws of the land. And this is as it should be because, listen, if you don't have a, a land of laws and there's lawlessness and soon the whole land becomes lawless and the very reason that you immigrated goes away, doesn't it? Likewise, as we look at this passage this morning, what you're going to see is that God too has tests. God too has tests by which he proves the true and false citizens of the kingdom of Christ Jesus. And so as we go through these few verses this morning, what we find is that true citizens of Christ's kingdom, they receive and they keep God's word. 
True citizens of Christ's kingdom receive and keep God's word. Now remember, in this whole situation, we could go all the way back to chapter 11 and show that one of the things Jesus is emphasizing is listening. He is emphasizing listening and bringing forth the fruit of good listening to his word. Remember, all the way back in chapter 11, he condemned certain communities. He said, woe to you, Tyre, woe to you, Chorazin, woe to you, Bethsaida. Why? Because you didn't repent. You saw all my mighty deeds. You took it in. You said, wow, that was amazing. And you didn't repent. And we saw just, just last week, didn't we, that Jesus preached this parable of the sower. And he's standing there and he says, and, and, and in Mark's gospel, he begins by saying, listen to me. And so you can almost imagine him there on the seashore. He's a stern look on his face. Listen to me. This is important. And he gives him this parable. He says, behold, a sower went forth to sow. And he thro throws out some and it falls on, uh, by the roadside. And the birds pluck it up. And it, some falls uh, on rocky soil, some amongst the thorns, and some on good ground. And then he concludes. That's all he said. And he concludes and he says, he who has ears, and listen, this was a command, and he said, he must hear. And you know what most of the people said? Was for lunch. And that is the parable in and of itself. They did not listen. But a few went to Jesus, and what did they do? They said, Jesus, teach us. And this is what he's doing now. He's teaching them. He's showing us the importance of listening. And remember, Matthew Henry said, a parable is like a nut, and it, it guards, it keeps the truth inside of it for those who with diligence will go in and dig it out. But it is also a nut that guards the truth from those who have no will to find it. And Jesus taught us that God sovereignly gives understanding to his people, but in judgment, he withholds understanding. From some, this was God reveals that His judgment against Israel, in part, we read all about this in Romans nine through eleven. His judgment against Israel, in part, a partial hardening has come upon them. How? Because they won't listen. They don't accept Christ as the Messiah. But that's why we pray for them. We pray for the coming of the kingdom, even amongst ethnic Jews. This morning, I want to walk through four points with you as we think about true citizens of Christ's kingdom and how they receive and they keep the word. And I want to begin by giving a definition of what the kingdom is. We, we've read about this. Matthew's gospel is one that we say it's the gospel of the kingdom because we start out with this genealogy. And we see these, these three groups of 14 generations that show that Christ is a rightful descendant of David. He is a king. He's a rightful king. And we find that when he begins to preach, what does he say? He says, listen, repent. The kingdom of heaven is at hand. It's here. And he's told the Pharisees what? He says, if I cast out demons by the Spirit, the kingdom of God has come upon you. What is the kingdom? Well, first of all, we see that the kingdom, it is the reign of of the resurrected and the ascended Christ. It is the reign of the resurrected and ascended Christ over all of his people by his spirit. I want you to think about this, that in his incarnation, in his incarnation, from the moment that he began to preach, what did Jesus say? My kingdom is at hand. It is near. 
And he gave signs of the presence of that kingdom, didn't he? All of the healings that he did, casting out demons. He didn't ask them if they wanted to come out. In some, in some moments, he, he could either, if he chose, he could command the wind and the waves to be still. But if he decided to, he didn't have to say a word and they obeyed him. His kingdom is at hand. The king is here. He's walking on the water. In his incarnation, he announced the kingdom and he gave signs of its presence. At his ascension, the kingdom of Jesus Christ was inaugurated in heaven and on earth. I want you to turn over with me. We were meditating on this passage in staff meeting this morning. Look at Hebrews chapter 2 with me. Take your Bible and turn over there. Hebrews chapter 2, we're going to pick up in verse 5. You can write this down and and come back to it. I want you to think about this. Hebrews 2, verse 5. For it was not to angels that God subjected the world to come, of which we are speaking. It has been testified somewhere, that's some you and I sometimes like to say, I know it says this in the Bible somewhere, well, this is inspired here. What is man that you are mindful of him? Being a quote from the Psalms. Or the son of man that you care for him? You made him for a little while lower than the angels, Jesus Christ, in his incarnation, as we are, a little lower than the angels, you now, what? Crowned him with glory and honor. The disciples got a preview of this at the transfiguration of the Lord Jesus Christ, where they saw him in full daytime, outshining the sun. Well, this is Christ in his present reality, ascended to the right hand of the Father. And what does it say in Hebrews 2.8? Putting everything in subjection under his feet. Now, in putting everything in in subjection to him, he left nothing outside his control. Nothing. At present, we do not yet see everything in subjection to him. And you say, I get that. But we see for a little while, we see him who for a little while has been made lower than the angels, namely Jesus. Do you know that Jesus Christ in his humanity is a king seated at the right hand of the Father right now? Right now, there is a man seated in the heavenly places at the right hand of the Father. And that man is Christ Jesus. And that's our hope. Since he went in, he can bring you to. For Jesus, victory over death and Satan, listen, are past tense realities. Do you understand that? For you and me, we are waiting for the fullness of that to come, the consummation of his kingdom. But Jesus Christ, as the first fruits of the resurrection, already has this reality. That's why now he can enable you to partake of that power. Think of what it says in Ephesians 1.3. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. Through the Spirit's work, you are seated with him. In the heavenly places. In Ephesians 2 6, he has raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. That is a present reality for you. The same conquest that Jesus enjoys in his soul and flesh, you enjoy spiritually now. As you grow into it, he enables you to overcome evil. And Christ will return to consummate his kingdom when all things will be in submission to him physically 
and spiritually. And with that, we say with Paul, Maranatha, come Lord Jesus. We long for the consummation of that kingdom because you know what? That's where we belong. The, the believer longs for that country. That's my citizenship is. And as we think about this this morning, just remember then that Christ is a, is a king. He is seated right now, ruling and reigning. As 1 Corinthians 15 says, he is bringing all of his enemies in subjection to himself, making them a footstool for his feet. That this church then is a commonwealth. Do you know that? We have one head, and he isn't in Rome. He is in heaven at the Father's right hand. He is in Mount Zion, seated upon God's holy hill, according to Psalm 2. He is seated there, reigning over you and me by his Holy Spirit, bringing people into subjection to himself. That's why he sent you Sunday school teachers and pastors, and you listen to the word. And when Christ conquers your heart, as we heard the testimony this morning, that is Christ exercising his lordship, saying, that one's mine. No argument from the devil. That, too, is why Christians, we study and we maintain Christ's law personally and in our society because we love the rule of our king and we seek to devote ourselves to him. So we look forward to the heavenly kingdom. Secondly, we see not only the kingdom definition that Christ is reigning right now, bringing all things into subjection to himself, but let's talk about kingdom extension. And remember... As we walk through Matthew 13, um, what Matthew has done in his gospel for you is he's taken some parables that Jesus told about the kingdom and he puts them all together. And remember that when Jesus was talking to the disciples, he said what? Here's the gift that God has given you to know the secrets of the kingdom. Now, because God is kind by his spirit, he inspired Matthew to write all these secrets of the kingdom down. And so the next thing we see is, well, how does the kingdom expand? How does, how does Christ's kingdom that even the writer to the Hebrews said, I don't, I don't fully see it, you know, inaugurated on, on earth. How does that kingdom expand? How does it go forward? Well, we are told that it goes forward by the preaching of the word. And I, I want to read you just from Isaiah chapter 2, you can write down uh, this reference in your notes there. Isaiah chapter 2, I want you to just get this vision for Christ's kingdom from there. The word of Isaiah, I'm sorry, the word that Isaiah, the son of Amos, saw concerning Judah and Jerusalem. Listen to this. It shall come to pass in the latter days that the mountain of the house of the Lord shall be established as the highest of the mountains and shall be lifted up above the hills and all the nations shall flow to it. And many people shall come and say, come, let us go up to the mountain of the Lord, to the house of the God of Jacob, that he may teach us his ways and that we may walk in his paths. For out of Zion shall go the law and the Lord, the word of the Lord from Jerusalem. You know when that happens in Isaiah 2? When do people say, let us go to the house of the Lord so that we may hear his law? It's every Sunday. The writer to the Hebrews, he picks up on this in chapter 10. He says, we gather to the mountain of God where the king teaches us his law. 
How does this mountain become the largest of all the mountains? Well, it isn't by legislation or conquest. Okay, it isn't by lobbying Washington, D.C. Okay, do you understand that? It, it isn't through uh, the dictates of Beijing, okay, or Tehran. The kingdom of, co- of Christ does not come by conquest with the sword. We can't go out as... Uh, as some have done in the past, and command all of their armies to walk through the river so they can be baptized into Christ. It doesn't come by legislation. It doesn't come by conquest. Remember that Jesus told Peter, what? Put your sword away. Don't you cut off Malchus' ear? Put your sword away, Peter. It comes by the word. In other words, Christ would tell Peter, take out the right sword, the sword of the word. In, uh, in a recent debate, um, I was listening to a debate just this week over, uh, over gun control, and there was actually two Presbyterian pastors. Uh, there's a PCA USA pastor on one side who never quoted the Bible at all, and there's a PCA or an OPC minister on the other side who, who was filled with Scripture, uh, Greg Bonson. I just want to quote to you from what, one of the things that uh, Dr. Bonson said in that debate. He says, listen, and, and this is so important for us to grasp today. Politics is not the solution because the problem is not with guns or the means of violence. The problem is in the hearts of men. That's why we argue with each other and people finally get to the place where they hit each other and they get guns and they kill, and kill each other. And so the PCUSA ministry said, you know, said, well, what do we do, Greg? What do we, if we're not going to ban guns, what do we do? You know what the answer is? Here it is. Become much more effective at preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ. Stop looking to Washington and look at 7133 Enterprise Road. He goes on, if Christ doesn't make us peacekeeping people in our hearts, we are not going to have a peacekeeping in our culture and society. Period. What if, excuse me, we looked on the vast expanse of violence in our communities? What if we looked on them as God's reminder that we need to be doing more evangelism? What if you took it as a sign that somebody is not holding up his end of the stick? You want change, and the change comes, as Chris has already read this morning, by the preaching of the word. Ephesians 6.15 says that the kingdom soldier wears what? The shoes of the gospel on his feet? The kingdom soldier looks at all aspects of life as gospel opportunities. My friendships, my business partnerships, my relationships, the interactions that I have with, uh, during the day at the grocery store, those are all opportunities to wear my shoes properly, to bring the gospel to bear. If you, if you, if you lament violence... Preach the gospel. This is how the kingdom of Jesus Christ goes forward. Heart to heart. Individual by individual. As Christ reaches down. Remember what he said. He said, uh, the strong man is bound. I bound the strong man. How does he do that? He says, because I, I, take, I come in, I plunder his goods. 
He just takes it. No argument. And he does that through the preaching of the gospel. Thirdly, we need to think about kingdom rejection. You say, well, I I long for the kingdom to come. I look for it. I love the kingdom. But there are some who reject it. And as we think about these three or four types of soil, the three types that reject, just a summary here. (coughs) Here's how to think about this part. There are three ways by which God sorts the citizens from non-citizens, okay? Spiritual warfare, persecution, and temptation. Like pruning shears in the hands of a master gardener. These are the means in the hands of God that he sovereignly wields. Let's look first of all at ignorance. If you go back with me, Matthew chapter 13, look at the text with me. Pick up, picking up <clears throat> verse 19. When anyone hears the word of the kingdom and does not understand it, the evil one comes and snatches away what has been sown in his heart. <clears throat> this is what was sown along the path. So there are, there are occasions when God permits Satan to take or to prevent understanding from taking place. This is the man who, who maybe you've ministered to in your life, or you've, you've brought him to a sermon. He's listened to a sermon, and you go home, and you all sit down over lunch, and you say, can you, can you tell me what the sermon was about? And he, mm. Just give me, give me one point from the sermon. Can you go to the other kids? Come back to me. What we recognize, listen, is that as an aspect of spiritual warfare. Because Satan is active. And there are occasions when, when Christ, by his sovereignty, permits Satan to rob the word away. Remember, as we already said, in the reason that he spoke in parables was to demonstrate the hardness of the heart against the word. God gives understanding. He said to the disciples, God has given to you to know the secrets of the kingdom. The second way is persecution and tribulation. Look with me at verses 20 to 21. As for what was sown on rocky ground, this is the one who hears the word and immediately receives it with joy. Yet he has no root in himself, but endures for a while. And when tribulation or persecution arises on account of the word, immediately he falls away. So we, we have two distinctions here. Persecution results in immediate rejection. And then in a moment, we're going to see that temptation results in gradual rejection. So let's look at the immediate rejection. Why does it happen that when a man is confronted with hardship over living out the word in his life, why does he back off? Why does he respond with cowardice? He says, well, actually, I agree with you guys. Well, it isn't the persecution, is it? What does the scripture say? He's rootless. He's a rootless man. Some of you go through your garden and you you do the weeding. And there are certain weeds that you can pull up with no effort whatsoever because they just have shallow roots. So you pluck them right up. 
Well, this is, this is a certain man. He's made a profession of faith. You, you witnessed to him. You shared the gospel with him. He said, I want that. Day two, he starts telling people that he's embraced Christ as Lord. You say, what? You say, yeah, I can't go and do those things with you anymore. And they say, what are you talking about? That is so foolish, so stupid. He says, you know, come to think of it, I think I'll go with y'all. He has no root. He's a coward. He backs away. As soon as persecution and tribulation rise up, he's received the word with joy, but as soon as it is put to the test, he wilts. The slightest upset or winds of opposition and he caves in and falls over so that as suddenly as he believed, he withers away. Thirdly, temptation. The third tool, the third pruning shear in the Lord's toolbox is temptation. And this is not immediate. Look at me, look with me at verse 22. As for what was sown among thorns, this is the one who hears the word, but the cares of the world and the deceitfulness of riches choke the word, and it proves unfruitful. Uh, the Puritan John Owen, he said that temptation is a knife. It is a knife that cuts either the meat of a man or his throat. And this is what Jesus is illustrating this morning. There are certain men who receive the word, they listen to it, they go home, and maybe you sit around at lunch and you say, well, what was the sermon about? And he waxes eloquent. He says, that's amazing. But as life goes on, he is done in by the cares of the world and the deceitfulness of riches. The cares of the world. The same word as Jesus used it in Matthew chapter 6 when he said to his followers, he said, stop being anxious about what you're going to eat and what you're going to wear. Stop. Instead, remember that God feeds and clothes his creation. Stop being anxious. Well, here's a man who can't do that. He's done in by the cares of the world. And in other words, what the world cares about, this man cares about. He cannot divest himself of the culture. He cannot break free of its shackles. He wants the praise of men. He's never, in other words, transferred away from worldliness and into godliness. There's never a moment in his life where piety and holiness become a hot zeal in his life. He doesn't love Christ. He adopts the cares of this world as his own. Now, unlike the persecuted man who had no root, this man just gradually falls away. As the tide of culture pressure, cultural pressure rises, the twin hands of cares of the world and the deceitfulness of riches clasp around his neck and they drag him under. Because there is no spirit, there's no resistance, and eventually he just slips under the water. When I was a boy, my father used to take me out in the yard and he would trim the hedges, 
the loblolly and et cetera, and he would lay them over aside, and it was always my job to grab them and to haul them to the road. And you get kind of good at that. You kind of figure out how to stack the limbs on one another so you can grab one down at the bottom and they all kind of go together. And what I'd like to point out to you this morning is that in essence, God uses these means to prune his kingdom, okay? He uses spiritual warfare. He uses persecution and tribulation. And he uses temptation to trim off the dead growth from his kingdom. Now, I want you to think about this then. This is very important. As you think about this, that there are, there are those who cleave to this commonwealth of Christ, this, the church, the body that exhibits the, 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 the reign of Christ in the world. There are, there are non-citizens that come in among the ranks, some of them with vicious intent in their heart. Remember, Jesus said, beware of false prophets, because what are they going to do? They're going to dress up like they're sheep, and they're going to come in with the intent of tearing you away. They're going to come in the church house and tempt you and persecute you. How does God take care of that on his own? By leading us through seasons of persecution and tribulation. By giving them over to their temptations. And what happens? They fall away. God prunes the branches. What then is the responsibility of the leadership of the church when those things happen? Just like me as a boy, to grab onto the bottom and drag them out. That's what excommunication out of the church is. Do you understand? It's not taking the initiative. It's not persecution. It is simply identifying the work that God has already done through uh, ignorance, uh, giving men over to ignorance and persecution and uh, temptation, identifying that and handling it to his glory. Not to practice excommunication then is to say to Christ, we know better who ought to be citizens and who ought not. So, the kingdom is the reign of Christ. It goes forward by the preaching of the gospel. That's why it's so important. It is extending. It is expanding. There are those who will reject it. God prunes them away. And then lastly, I want us to look just here at the last point, kingdom submission. Kingdom, sub, kingdom submission. Not all will reject not all re will reject. Notice what we read in verse 23. As for what was sown on good soil, this is the one who hears the word and understands it. He indeed bears fruit and yields, in one case a hundredfold, in another sixty, and in another thirty. I think a simple way to understand this is that, that the real citizen he, he himself is going to endure spiritual warfare. He himself is going to endure persecution. And he himself is going to endure temptation. And the difference is, he doesn't fall. He doesn't fall. What happens, he understands the word. Notice that it, this is the one who hears the word and understands it. In other words, it doesn't remain just up here in the periphery. It's not just a, it's not just a head knowledge. He can't, it's not that he can recite the catechism or answer all the questions, but it goes down and it, 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 it circulates through his whole body and he's filled with the love for the things of God and he can't get enough, man. You, you find him and he's, he's studying something in the word and, and he's just mulling it over and it just it permeates his being. 
He understands it. And remember that this is a key aspect of the new covenant. That God would write his law on the hearts of his people. Which means a special thing. That he will make you love it. He writes it on the heart. Not on the head. Not on the forehead. Not on your hands. He writes it here. In your soul. And this man perseveres through persecution. God doesn't rescue this man from it. He doesn't rescue us from persecution. He doesn't rescue us from temptation always. But he ordains these things. Do you see why? Because you and I need pruning. We need it. I have camellia. I have a camellia. It's supposed to be a bush, I think, but it's a tree in my yard. And it's grown for so long with nobody tending to it that it's mostly bark. And so at the proper time of the year, I think it's fall that they put out their blossoms um, that they're just up here and they actually blend in with the oak tree. And it's gotten to the point where I need to go in and make it actually a camellia bush again. And you know, that's what God does for his children. He lets you endure persecution and he lets you endure temptation. Why? So that he will trim off those old dead branches. You say, dear, my dear beloved child, um, you're loving this too much. I'm going to take it away. I'm going to take it away and turn your eyes back to me. I want you to fall on your knees and come before me and plead for my mercy and love, and I'll give it to you because the steadfast love of the Lord endures forever. Endures forever. And you never doubt that. You never doubt that when I get on my knees, when God is pruning me, and it's not that I'm perfect through persecution. Maybe my heart is tempted to fear. Maybe I fail in temptation, but at the end of the day, because I am filled with the life of Christ, I get on my knees and I repent and I ask the Lord for mercy and he reminds me of his love for me and he renews me. And what happens the next time I'm persecuted, the next time I'm tempted, I don't care. Say what you want because Christ is my king. I will not deny him. Not all citizens will be the same. Some will bear a hundredfold fruit. Some will bear 60-fold fruit. And some, some their whole lives, they're, they're going to bear 30. But you know what? We're in the same garden. We are in the same garden, tended by the same master gardener. True citizens of Christ's kingdom receive and keep God's word. They love it. Now, I want you to think about this now, just as we close. Think about this. Um, God called the first Adam to do what? Work and keep the garden, didn't he? That was his work. I'm going to place you. He made a special garden, gave him everything that he needed, but it was his objective to make that garden grow so that it would come down the mountain and that it would cover the earth, just like we read in Isaiah chapter 2, that it would cover the earth and that the earth would be filled with image bearers of God and that it would praise him and it would redound to the glory of Jesus Christ, the only king then and now. But that first Adam, he failed, didn't he? We don't even know if he cut the first weed out and he ate the fruit. He gave in to temptation, didn't he? But you know what? Jesus Christ is the second Adam and he has taken up this work. Spiritual warfare, persecution, And temptation are merely the pruning shears 
in his hands. They're not swords to take away the lives of his true people. Instead, they are the shears by which he enables us to live more fully to his glory. And through his careful work, he causes his garden to flourish. And I think that's so important to remember, even in times where it's like, it's so intense right now. It seems like it's in my backyard. Well, yeah. Maybe we haven't been evangelizing like we should. But through Christ's careful work, you can rest assured that he's going to cause his kingdom to grow. His garden will fill the earth. It will fill the earth. That is undeniable. Christ will fulfill the task given to the first Adam. Listening to the word is a spiritual activity. Remember every Sunday, Sabbath by Sabbath, that warfare is taking place. Through the preaching of the word, Christ's kingdom is advanced. Men will be pruned away. And some will be caused to flourish. And others will be brought in. And among his citizens, the more they listen, the more they advance in submission to Christ, the more they sense the peace of Christ ruling in their hearts, And this is because the more they listen, the more they learn the areas in which Christ demands submission. And his submission, his citizens, happily give it all. Amen. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, what glorious truths are revealed to us in these pages. Oh, Father, your word is living and active. We feel it in our very bones. You, you energize us day by day to, to go and hand Bibles out at colleges. To, we, we rejoice to see others sharing in our joy that comes from Jesus Christ flowing down his great mountain as streams of water. And not just water that wets the throat and keeps a man dehydrated, but water that fills us with eternal and everlasting life, for Christ himself is the healing water. And Lord Jesus, we pray this morning for the consummation of your kingdom. You you tell us to do that. Um, You you tell us to pray, your kingdom come. Cause your kingdom to come. And we, we ask for that, oh Father. And we begin by praying for it in our own hearts. Cause your kingdom to come in, in my heart and in the hearts of my brothers and sisters. Show us where we don't yield to you. Show us. Keep us through persecution and temptation. Help us Cause us to grow an understanding of your word and love for your glory. We pray in your precious name. Amen.